0: This podcast contains sensitive topics and discussions. Listener discretion is advised. A desperate mother endures countless hospital visits from a mystery illness. But was his illness naturally occurring or something more sinister? This is the Lacey Spears story. Welcome back, Amy.
1: Megan, it has been so long, but we both had
0: some really awesome trips, huh? Oh my gosh. I missed recording with you. You know what I missed more, though, talking to you every day? Like, you know how we talk like four times a day?
1: Yes, but when I was in Japan, I was able to call (laughs) you when it was my morning. Oh no, it was my day and your night. So we
0: were like, oh, this is great. (laughs) It's funny because I told myself that you got the that phone plan just to contact me and not your family. I'm like, I'm sure she got it just so we could keep talking every day. <laughs> I'm so glad that you had such an amazing experience. And maybe on our next episode, you could share a little bit about yours. Maybe on your episode. I know that I want, you know I don't want to take too much time. I had a wonderful experience going to Argentina and Uruguay. The countries were beautiful. The people were excellent, and the food was outstanding. Well worth all the anxiety of flying and flying home. You survived. I was just gonna say, I'm a survivor. You <laughs> know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You guys know how I feel about flying. The anxiety of flying eleven hours for me was such a buildup because you know I've been baby stepping my way to flying in general, but. Um, they were actually two really good flights, and I did really well, sleeping like 10 out of 11 hours helped, So,
1: <laughs> And then there I anyway. was on my 15-hour flight awake the whole entire time. <laughs> I
0: swear, I don't know what your problem is, but <laughs> anyway, we are back, and we are thrilled to be recording new episodes for our listeners. Today's episode is a subject of my own choosing, and I picked it because it's a topic that I don't think we have actually covered on the show before. So I think that we're going to have, you know, some new things to discuss at the end, but I won't jump ahead and give anything away. For now, let me just introduce you all to today's subject. Lacey Spears was born in 1987 in Atwater, California to parents Terry and Tina Spears. No relation to Britney Spears, just in case anyone asks. She was the youngest of three children, and her parents moved the family to the small town of Decatur, Alabama, when Lacey was just a baby. The town was small, and like many areas of the Deep South, it was economically depressed, you might say. Much of the town's culture centered around the church, and most of the inhabitants worked in blue-collar professions. Lacey's father, Terry, found work as a welder, while Tina stayed at home to raise three children. Even from a young age, Lacey always loved to play the mom role. Some might say too much, but, you know, she had a lot of friends. She was social. She was described as someone who was kind of teacher's pet and loved to please her teachers, which is also a role I can relate to. (laughs) Friends also said that she gravitated towards their mothers, often latching on to mothers who were not her own, which was sort of unsettling to some people who knew her. When Lacey was in middle school, she told a friend's mother and her neighbors that she had been molested by a relative. She said that she was afraid to be at home. And while this friend's family reported the allegation and actually let Lacey stay with them for a while, there's no record that I could find of a follow up investigation or, you know, that this allegation could be substantiated. But Lacey's older sister, Rebecca, says she has no idea where those allegations came from. According to Rebecca, they had a very happy childhood, but certainly we can't say for sure whether the allegations were true or false. It's also possible
1: that in a household, both children are not treated the same. So it's possible just because the sister didn't experience abuse, that doesn't mean that she didn't.
0: Absolutely, that's very fair point. That being said, Amy, others noted that Lacey frequently told lies, complaining of injuries that were not real. And at one point, she even faked having an eating disorder. So it seems that many people who knew her thought that she was making up stories pretty consistently about injuries and her home life. Nevertheless, Lacey's friends described her as very sweet and a very kind person. Lacey graduated from high school in 2006, and while she took some nursing courses, she never completed them and ended up working in child care instead, which really seemed to suit her as you know, she seemed to have that love again for the maternal role and caretaker. She mostly worked locally with infants and toddlers and she was reportedly very good at her job. However, she got too close, you might say, with some of the kids. Telling people in town, like this is just an example, that one of the children, she told people that she was the child's mother in a few different instances. That's really um, That's very Which was not true. That's pretty disturbing. It is disturbing, and it made uh, some of the town moms very uncomfortable. So some of them distanced themselves from Lacey and didn't want her to specifically care for their children. Now, Lacey very badly wanted to be a mother herself. So it may be that her claims here are just a show of how much she wished she had her own child or this kind of fantasy life. But she wouldn't have to wait long, because in 2008, at 20 years old, Lacey got her wish, becoming pregnant though she did not publicly disclose who the father of her child was. However, she did post on social media that she lost her, quote, soulmate and baby's father in a terrible car accident. I have a feeling that this is going to be false information. You may be on to something here. Lacey gave birth to a son who she named Garnet Spears in December of 2008 and did not list a father on his birth certificate. People were quite sympathetic towards Lacey at her being a single young mother. But Lacey didn't want to talk about the fact that she was a single mother with her friends or what happened to, you know, Garnet's father. She focused on her job and being a new mother. Now, Garnet was reportedly born a healthy baby in every regard with no problems. But very early on, she took Garnet to the hospital as he was apparently bleeding from his eyes and ears, which I think is absolutely terrifying.
1: Yeah, that sounds like something you'd see in a horror movie.
0: Aside from the Ebola virus, I've never really heard of anyone bleeding from their eyes and ears. Nevertheless, a baby. I would be absolutely terrified if this was, you know, a child, my child. Garnet had constant acid reflux, which was making him very sick, according to Lacey. And so doctors performed a surgical operation on his stomach to try and correct the acid from refluxing back into his esophagus. After this procedure, Lacey brought Garnet back to the hospital on a fairly frequent basis, claiming that he would not eat. And now Lacey was insistent that the doctors place a feeding tube in Garnet's stomach, but several refused, saying that they did not think this was a necessary procedure. Eventually, Lacey found an Alabama hospital, and they were willing to insert the feeding tube.
1: Megan, remind me how old the child is at this point.
0: Oh, he was very young. I mean, this is about two years old. Gotcha. Very small mm-hmm. child, three tops. Although interestingly, Lacey's friends reported that they didn't think Garnet had an eating problem. They cited that they regularly saw him consume foods without any apparent issues, like giving examples of watching him eat hot dogs and other things. But this wouldn't be the last time Lacey brought Garnet to the hospital. She'd have him back countless times throughout his infancy and early toddlerhood, advocating for treatment for a gamut of issues, including ear infections, seizures, eating issues, and others. This case is eerily similar to Gypsy Rose, is it not? It is, Amy. And that's a good point. And we covered that case. No, we didn't cover it. People requested Gypsy Rose and I wanted to cover a similar case but Gypsy Rose has been covered so many times I wanted to cover one that didn't receive maybe the same publicity so that's why I chose this one. You know what I think we talked about it
1: at one of our happy hours with our patrons so that's why I was convinced that we had already done cuz
0: you said this is a new topic and I'm like no we did Gypsy but I guess we didn't. Okay. We have discussed it in events yes. and we've probably discussed it you know amongst ourselves and with other criminologists you know what I mean we've we've definitely discussed it but no I chose this one in lieu of Gypsy Rose. Mm -hmm. So when Garnet was three years old, Lacey left Alabama and moved to upstate New York in a community known as The Fellowship. The Fellowship was essentially a commune where holistic eating and education were paramount. And Lacey reportedly hoped that a holistic diet approach would be the answer to healing her son. After Lacey moved to the fellowship, she rarely visited her friends and family in Alabama, but she posted regularly on social media about Garnet and his progress or what he was experiencing. And while several of those posts were happy ones, you know, sharing the joyous school and holiday photos and so on that other people do, Garnet's health or lack thereof really was the center stage of these social media posts. It seems that every time he became ill, Lacey posted intense details and updates on his various conditions. Would she also be posting pictures or just... Yes.
1: She posted pictures. pictures.
0: Yeah, she did. She posted pictures Uh. of him that I I would say I would not have posted of my child. Garnet continued to be in and out of hospitals, and Lacey seemed to find this support network online. With people praying for her and leaving her kind messages and support, you know, in various ways. And like you just asked about the photos, Lacey didn't shy away from sharing these photos of him in the hospital. I mean, she would share photos of him in a hospital bed or hooked up to machines in the hospital on her social media. And I certainly understand if your child's sick, you might need support from others, but I don't know what the purpose of the pictures would have served. I mean, Amy, as a parent, would you ever have shared? I remember when Ethan was burned pretty badly when he was a yep. child. Would you have mm-hmm. ever shared these kind of photos on social media?
1: No, and I understand everyone's different. And for some people, when they're going through something traumatic, they need support of their community. Mm-hmm. So maybe by showing people how bad it is, that's a way to garner support. Okay. I'm wondering, was she trying to raise money or something? Like, was she, what was her purpose of these posts? Because I know sometimes people do GoFundMe's and they post things like that.
0: I don't know that she received financial support. If she did, I think it was minimal. The support more came in terms of I'm praying for you or, you know, I can be there for you. I think it was more of, you know, that kind of online support as opposed to financial support. And I think that's a good differentiator, maybe. I'm sure there was some money, just so you know. But I don't think it was in the case of Gypsy Rose. Her mother received substantial financial contributions, including a Mm -hmm. house built, you know, for them. So I think it's a little bit different. Only a few weeks before Garnet's fifth birthday, he was back in the hospital again, and this time for something incredibly serious. On January 17, 2014, Lacey brought Garnet to the hospital after he suffered a seizure. As doctors began tests, they found that he had a very high level of sodium in his system. And they were very perplexed as to what was causing this, trying to determine if it was from food or if his body was somehow overproducing sodium. Doctors administered medications throughout the day and left a video on in his room so they could monitor him 24-7. They wanted to keep their eyes on him. Two days later, Garnet was beginning to feel much better. He was talking and interacting, and his sodium levels were stabilizing. The doctors felt like, wow, they were thrilled. They thought he made a full recovery, even though they still were not sure what the cause was, but they were ready to release him. But oddly, after they told Lacey about this release, only a few hours later, Garnet began to seize again. A terrified Lacey called in medical personnel, and they made a quick decision to airlift the five-year-old boy from Nyack Hospital to the Westchester County Medical Center. Lacey posted this development on her social media, of course, keeping friends and family up to date on Garnet's condition. When Garnet arrived at the Westchester County Medical Center, he fell into a coma and had to be put on life support. Shortly after, it's so sad too. And you know what? If you see all the, there's a lot of video and pictures of this kid. He was a happy-go-lucky, sweet, sweet kid. It's really heartbreaking. Shortly after... Lacey had posted about Garnet falling into a coma. She posted again that he was brain dead and that he had passed away. It was a terrible shock and heartbreak to everyone who knew both Lacey and Garnet. Again, as I mentioned, you could just see such a happy, you know, full of life kid. And so nobody could really come to terms with this loss or understand how or why this happened in the first place. Nobody that is except the doctors at Westchester Medical Center. They were suspicious, so suspicious that they contacted the police reporting that they had a suspicious child illness. Mm-hmm. The doctors told Westchester detectives that Garnet had come in with an extremely elevated sodium level that seemed too unnatural to stem from any kind of medical condition. So they mm-hmm. believed that essentially he had been poisoned, that this was external. The police began with the person who spent the most time with him, and that was his mother, Lacey. She told the police that she thought the hospital had done something very wrong. Perhaps it was a medicine that he should not have been prescribed, and she believed that was the cause of her son's death. So the police began investigating hospital personnel and Garnet's treatment plan. However as you probably can suspect and our listeners will suspect, they found nothing about his treatment plan that seemed to reflect this outcome. Mm -hmm. And they very quickly turned their attention back to Lacey. Now, it was hard for anyone to believe Lacey could have done anything to her son. She always seemed like the most doting, caring mother. But the police took a hard look at her social media, which again, laid everything out for them. It was kind of like a roadmap for them of all his medical conditions and visits to the hospital. Through these posts, the police were able to determine that Garnett had been taken to the hospital over 20 times in just his first year of life for everything from those ear infections to seizures. On top of that, Lacey had claimed that Garnet could not eat. Remember that? But then she posted pictures of him eating just about everything. I'm
1: assuming that the red flag wasn't the fact that he had gone to the hospital so many times. It's these other areas that seemed concerning, such as you said, her feeding him food when she said he couldn't eat?
0: I think it was all of it. Yeah. No, I think the fact that he went to the hospital this many times had been born a healthy baby and like there was it was kind of inexplicable. I think that was also a red flag. But yeah, okay. it didn't seem that what Lacey said reported was lining up with the reality. And remember how she had demanded that Garnet be given that feeding tube? Part of the reason it took her so long to find a hospital that would do it was because no medical professionals saw any reason that he would need a feeding tube. But she wanted a tube that connected to his stomach. Think about it. A feeding tube means you have to put something in that tube. I'm confused as
1: to why uh, like why medical professionals would take her word for it and give him the feeding tube I'm assuming they're going to be held liable in some way here too
0: that's a good question I think that most of them didn't see the need but you know she did have a lot of documentation at that point about his problems being the hospital not eating so she found a doctor whose opinion may have differed from the others and maybe saw a need I don't know necessarily what level of culpability they have. Yes, I do I do understand your point and I believe they're they're culpable certainly for performing a procedure that maybe wasn't necessary, but maybe they were erring on the side of caution, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, it turned out like she would change doctors by the way, they found out any time that they advised her to remove the feeding tube. That when they said he's fine, he's eating, he's he's healthy, he's gaining weight. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't where it stopped, Amy. Remember the soulmate who passed away? Yes. Well, he was very much alive. Blake Robinson, a police officer, was someone who went out with Lacey two times, but he was not Garnet's father. That's who she had said was his father. So this is very confusing. Who was Garnet's dad? Well, it was actually one of Lacey's former neighbors, a man by the name of Christopher Hill, though Lacey would never acknowledge it and she would not let him father Garnet even though he wanted to. Also, I want to point out, as you know, they're collecting this evidence, Lacey also cared for another child. Remember, I told you she cared for a child prior to Garnet or a few. One of them was sick all the time with constant ear infections during Lacey's care and had to visit the doctors and hospitals. Mm-hmm. Now, I also know that kids get ear infections. As a matter of fact, doesn't one of your kids get ear infections a lot or no? Jordan has one as we speak. Yep. Yeah. So I know that it's not uncommon, but it seemed that it was excessive while in Lacey's care. Mm hmm. I mean, police at this point felt they had enough to get a search warrant for Lacey's apartment, and this was before Garnet had passed. Remember, the the medical personnel called the police while it was still a suspicious illness. So upon looking at her apartment, the detectives found that her apartment was very clean, and it also had like a shrine to Garnet, which you can see online. Like it had his pictures and other items of his in kind of this... I don't know if you would call it a tray or just, you know, a certain area, but they also found a very large feeding machine, like one of those, you know, IV type poles with the feeding bags they attached to it in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. And then the police got a call from one of the leaders of the fellowship that would change everything. The leaders reported that a member of theirs who was a friend of Lacey's had come to them with some very disturbing information. The young woman claimed that Lacey had called her and asked her to go to Lacey's apartment and remove the feeding bag that was on Garnet's machine and destroy it. And the young woman did. She went and removed the bag. She didn't know why. She didn't get it. Did she question why? I don't know that I would destroy anything without at least asking someone why, what's going on. I think that Lacey was very hysterical calling from the hospital. It was quick. And she said something to, you know, the effect probably of, I'll explain it all later. You know, I need you to do this. And this woman didn't realize that Lacey was under any type of investigation or, you know, she has no idea. I don't know if she just thought maybe there's a dangerous substance and maybe Garnet, you know, accidentally ingested it. I just got to take care of this. But while the woman did remove the bag, she didn't throw it out. Good. She, she had a bad feeling. Okay, good. Yeah. So she kept it, and the investigators were able to have it tested. So what did the bag contain? Well, it contained Garnet's formula, and it turned out that Lacey had been feeding Garnet an excessive amount of salt. In this bag, the police said that they found the equivalent of approximately 69 packets of salt in one bag. What? Right. Well, that explains elevated sodium levels, but this wasn't the only bombshell, Amy. Remember when I told you that the hospital was video monitoring Garnet in the room? Yep. Okay. Well, remember, I also told you Garnet seemed to be doing great. He was going to be released, but then all of a sudden he seized. Well, this video comes into play here, and I just want to caution our listeners if they want to watch it that it's out there, but you know it's it's disturbing and it's upsetting. So let me just describe. It begins with Garnet laying across the bed with Lacey sitting on the bed next to him. She was seemingly checking her phone and he seemed fine until doctors leave the room. And again, this is right after they told Lacey that Garnet could go home. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point, the camera shows Lacey get out of the bed, go over to Garnet, pick him up and bring him into the bathroom. The bathroom is not on camera, just so you know. The room is, but once the door closes, it's not. Mm -hmm. Very quickly after, Lacey is seen again bringing Garnet back to his bed. As she passes by the end of the bed, though, it appears that she's carrying a container of some type and what looks like a tube. Shortly after, Garnet became very ill, slumping his head down, gagging, seeming like he had to throw up. Within minutes, Garnet went unresponsive and the medical team rushed in to see what had happened. And at this point, Garnet was not responding at all and Lacey could be seen sitting and crying off to the side in a chair in his room. And that's when he was airlifted to Westchester where he died a few days later. So shocking. I know I see you shaking your head like this whole time. Like it's it's so unbelievable. The video is pretty unbelievable. You're, it's Again, it's disturbing as well but I'm grateful that they had this video evidence. Detectives had been gathering evidence for a few months, but the feeding bag in the video were the clinchers and the police arrested Lacey in June of 2014 and charged her with the murder of her five-year-old son. Lacey, of course, protested and claimed that she was completely innocent. She retained a lawyer and opted to go to trial, a trial that lasted for 14 days. I'm dying to know what was her defense. Her defense was that Lacey took her child to the hospital to save him and that she had always demonstrated that she was a loving mother who prioritized Garnet above all and that something went wrong at that hospital and she was not responsible.
1: How does she explain the contents of the feeding bag?
0: Well, actually, that's a great question. I'm not sure how she explained the contents of the feeding bag. to me, that
1: seems like the video, although that seems damning, I think the contents of the feeding bag is really the nail in her coffin here.
0: I think, you know, I watched some video and I swear, I think she just claims that she wasn't in her apartment and she doesn't know who put what in that bag. I'm pretty sure that was the defense she went with. Okay. Like, I didn't touch okay. it. I wasn't the one who, you know, took it or handed it to the police. So she's, again, going complete innocence on this. She did not testify at her trial. The prosecution played that NIAC Hospital video for the jury and it did not go over well. I mean. It looks damning, even though, you know, her claim was that it's not damning. She just took her son to the bathroom. And because there it looks like a tube, it it appears to be, but it's not 100 percent clear. So the defense to that was simply that's not correct. That was not a tube. And I didn't take anything into the bathroom other than my child because he didn't feel well. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you think? Is the jury going to buy this defense?
1: No, absolutely not. Okay.
0: In the end, Lacey was convicted by the jury of second-degree murder, and the judge sentenced Lacey to 20 years to life in prison. This sentence was just short of the 25-year maximum, with the judge telling Lacey she suffered from Munchausen by proxy and she had to come to terms with it. Lacey will be eligible for parole the first time when she turns 46 years old. So where is Lacey? Well, Lacey's in New York, so she's serving her time at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. A
1: lot of women we have covered are serving their time at Bedford.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bedford's the primary in New York, so, you know, you have some famous Carolyn Warmus was released from there recently. Pam Smart is there. Nikki Adamondo's there. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there are a lot of famous inmates there. I recently read that Lacey has filed many complaints about being bullied in prison. Apparently, the other inmates frequently dump salt on her food. Child murderers are not very popular in prison, as we know. No. So it's no, not aren't. that surprising. Lacey still maintains her innocence. And I think she always will, claiming that she was a good mother to Garnet. What year will she be eligible for parole? It was 2014 oh. that she was arrested and charged. So trial shortly after that. So imagining that in, it'll be... Sometime in the 2030s that she'll be eligible for parole, but she'll be 46. I mean, she's also not taking
1: accountability, obviously not showing remorse because she's still claiming innocence. So I wonder how the parole board will view that.
0: She'll be eligible if she goes up there and she still claims her innocence. They are going to throw her out of the room. So, Mm okay. Okay. Let's discuss what happened here. Uh, You know, our conclusions, you've already alluded to them. And I think most people probably know what, you know, what's coming. But many have posited that this is a clear case of factitious disorder imposed on another, which was previously known by the name Munchausen syndrome by proxy.
1: Megan, do we know
0: why they changed the name? Yes, we do. They changed the name to be more reflective of the disorder and not the person for who it was named. Mm-hmm. Let me let me actually tell you a little bit about Munchausen. It's a psychiatric disorder that was first introduced by Dr. Richard Asher in 1951, but it was actually named for the 18th century Baron Karl Friedrich von Munchausen, born in Germany, but after he joined the Russian military and returned. His fantastical and unrealistic tales about his battles, travels, and injuries became well-documented. So this disorder was named after him. Munchausen is categorized as a mental disorder in which someone either fakes or oftentimes injures themselves. But the by proxy is when they injure someone else, someone in their custody usually. And this is in attempts to receive attention. And while it's hard to diagnose and catch, There are some things to look for with a person who has this disorder. There are frequent unexplained illnesses that either persist or change for no reason at all. There's frequent hospital trips or doctor visits that come out with no diagnoses. Someone who also changes doctors a lot without explanation. Someone who likes to argue with doctors about their illness. So the doctor saying, I can't find anything wrong with you. And a person is saying, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. Someone who undergoes unnecessary medical procedures and someone whose stories about illnesses change or these illnesses are obviously inconsistent. This can happen to the individual if they're making themselves sick or it could happen by proxy situation if they are making someone else sick. This disorder is very rare but is most prevalent in females ages 20 to early 40s. The cause is unknown. And Megan, it's usually inflicted on a child by a mother. Is that correct? So yes, that, that's, that's often correct. But or it can be a medical personnel on a child or another victim, vulnerable mm-hmm. victim. Mm-hmm. So the cause is unknown, although it's believed that these are people who were possibly abused and or neglected, have very low self-esteem and need attention that they either lacked or seriously perceived they lacked. I mean, it's kind of a general, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of general criteria that applies to many conditions, I think. So it is hard. More recently, you asked, the community felt the name of factitious disorder was more appropriate than Munchausen, again, to reflect the actual disorder and not the person. Mm -hmm. Lacey's case is, I think, a clear one of factitious order by proxy, which is both a mental illness and a very seriously and sometimes deadly form of child abuse. So this makes it very difficult because it is diagnosed as an illness, but it's also a crime. Now, we described, you know, the conditions under which they would make themselves sick or someone else, these unnecessary medical procedures. It might also include just a general weakening of a child's immune system. So there are any number of conditions that can include factitious disorder. And as you discussed earlier, the most probably well-known case of this disorder is Gypsy Rose, who suffered at the hands of her mother, Dee Dee, for years. Gypsy Rose eventually killed her mother for putting her through all this torture and unnecessary medical procedures. Mm -hmm. Lacey clearly fits this mold. She made Garnet sick in order to receive attention and praise for being such a good mother. So then one of the questions at the end becomes, why did she kill him? If Garnet, is her source of all this attention, right? In the Gypsy Rose case, she didn't kill her daughter. Mm-hmm. Daughter was a teenager. So why would she kill Garnet if he is the very thing that is giving her you know, attention? People want to know, was it accidental or intentional?
1: I think it was intentional and she wanted the ultimate attention by his death, tragic death of a child. She felt probably that she would get a lot of attention for that.
0: Okay, yeah, that's a possibility. So I think that that's there's three possibilities, and I think that's one of them. I also think that there's two others, and I think it could have been accidental. Like, Lacey got very upset when she realized they were releasing Garnet. So I think she could have been trying to increase his sodium oh. levels, mm-hmm. like, high enough so that they would keep him in the hospital, but she simply gave him too much and didn't mean mm-hmm. to. I think that's one possibility also. Yeah, There's another one that I've read that people felt that maybe Lacey feared that Garnet was getting older, old enough to like when he was a baby, he couldn't speak and tell people what was going on. But maybe she feared that he was going to be able to start articulating what was happening to him and that she would ultimately kind of be caught. And so she had to silence him at this point. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a possibility as well? Megan,
1: now that you say it, I think that it was accidental. That makes the most sense to me.
0: Yeah, it made a lot of sense to me as well, just because I think she was panicking about them releasing him. I just don't believe that she wanted him to die, per se, because I don't think that she wanted to lose that attention, even though, like you said, it could be the ultimate. She's the mourning mother and now she gets more. But that short term, that's not really forever. Or is it?
1: Or maybe she would have just turned it on herself and started making, you know, because of her child's death, she's suffering so much. She has all these medical issues now.
0: Any number of explanations that would be hard without Lacey ever, you know, telling the truth here. But let's turn to the system now. Did the system get it right? For me, this is a yes and no. Why no? So the part that was right was that the criminal justice system apprehended Lacey, found her guilty and punished mm-hmm. her. But what about saving Garnet? Here's what information I you know, maybe haven't shared yet. At least two doctors said on the record that Lacey suffered from Munchausen and called Child Protective Services. So what happened there? An investigation was launched at some point, but it went nowhere after investigators spoke with Lacey because she seemed to convince them that she was following medical protocols and seeing appropriate doctors for her son. Okay, so she was able to
1: fool people that were potentially onto her.
0: Yes, she was apparently. Even, you know, a Florida Child Protective Service noted that in their records They weren't saying that she was harming him. What they noted was that he was at risk for medical neglect. Okay. So what happened? Why was the ball dropped? Why didn't anyone care enough to save this little boy's life? Why did they just believe this mother? It seems like while there was some initial investigation, it didn't go far enough. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I will say is that these people who suffer from this disorder are very smart. They move around a lot and there's a disconnect. Mm -hmm. You know, hospitals don't all share records. There's not one system. So the ball was dropped in some ways, but Lacey was very smart in others about going to different treatment centers, moving, that type of thing. In the end, it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around a mother harming her own child. You know, we have several types of females who both abuse and murder their children. I cover them in Women in Crime. But this type is also one that you can't understand in terms of the repetitive harm and seeing your child suffer and knowing that you're causing that, right? Mm -hmm. I think right now, I believe there's more information about factitious disorder available. And so I really do believe awareness can save these lives. Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of like the awareness that we first saw when we learned about healthcare providers harming Mm -hmm. their patients. I went online and there wasn't too much that I found, but I did find a group, munchausensupport.com that provides help and resources for families and others dealing with factitious disorder. So maybe that's a starting place for anyone who thinks they see signs of this. On a side mm-hmm. note, I will tell you that I have a good friend who believes that she was a victim of Munchausen by proxy or factitious order imposed on another from her mother. How so? She had a lot of illnesses as an adult, never anything that has been so serious that I think her life was in jeopardy, but just very weak immune system, a lot of things going on for someone who was otherwise healthy. And so she went back and started tracing. She got all of her medical records and found out that she was hospitalized. She said she remembered it, hospitalized and went to the doctors, even and in the notations, they couldn't find anything wrong with her. But she was subjected to, she said a lot of different procedures and a lot of medicine. She said her mother was always giving her medicine. They were always at the doctor's. So she believes that she suffered by the hands of her mother.
1: It's always important to recognize the other side though. Sure. Because I think there's also people who go to doctors and they don't find anything. And I think it's important to advocate because sometimes you do need to go to a lot of doctors until they find something wrong.
0: You are not incorrect and you can't know every individual case. I just thought it was interesting to have her explain to me Because I was like, why would you think that? And explain to me all the weird feelings that she had. And and you know what's interesting? She's kind of mended ways with her mother. In any regard, there is a support group. And again, spreading awareness about, I think, factitious disorder can help prevent it. It's a very sad what happened to Garnet. I think it's heartbreaking. I think there's a lot of things that can be done now to prevent this type of tragedy from happening. In the future, I had never heard of this case, Megan. Thank you so much for bringing it up. Yeah, of course. And thank you for the listeners who wrote in wanting to hear about this topic. We hope we shed some light on it. Before we go today, we'd like to take an opportunity to answer a question from one of our supporters.
1: Today's question says Have either of you experienced misogyny throughout your careers in the criminal justice field? And do you have any advice for incoming women in the field about how they could deal with inequality? We've been asked this before, and I, re- I recall. That when you were a probation officer, this came up a little bit, right?
0: People had asked about it if I had experienced this. And the answer is I did not. I was either fortunate or I found a way to, for me, I, I found a way to make myself very valuable. But I will say this. I don't necessarily think I had to be equal in every way to my male counterparts in probation. I didn't think, again, like I worked with some people who look like linebackers. So do I need to throw a batting ram through the door when I'm standing next to, you know, 250 pound officer? No, but I found myself having many different strengths. I was the one who could get them to open the door by looking all sweet Mm -hmm. and innocent and faking I'm (laughs) lost, um, you know. I happen to be very good with women and children in the apartment who would get upset, maybe, especially seeing all these men in their space. Mm -hmm. So my advice has always been this. I mean, if you want to be equal in every single way, if you want to do the same exact things, that's your prerogative. For me, I didn't experience any of that type of misogyny. And I knew that I had many strengths and valuable qualities that I could use that were different than my male counterparts. And I found that very rewarding. Yeah, Megan, that's great advice. Let's end it on that note. Okay, good. So I would like to thank everyone again for listening to today's episode and we'll catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include CBS News, an episode of 48 Hours, CriminalElement.com, and the Journal of the Evolution of Medical and Dental Sciences. Seeking the truth
1: never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.